And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, Force Five. Welcome back to the Force Five podcast. I am your host, Jason Kleberg, and if this is your first time, Force 5 is the show that forces a guest to come up with a movie-themed top 5 list, and then we talk about our picks on air. This week, my guest is Kat Gonzalez, entertainment writer and co-host of the Latinx Lens podcast, and she picked a highly requested topic for this week's show, Top 5 Shootouts. But before you strap on that bulletproof vest, I've got some mail to get to, and we're going to talk about a couple of things that I saw this past week. First things first, let's get to the mail. This one this week comes from Gigi. Gigi asks, hey, big fan of the show. Thanks for making my commute a lot better every Monday. That being said, do you have a vetting process for your guests? Uh, They name a guest here. I'm going to leave the name anonymous just because of what follows. It says blank wasn't very good and almost put me to sleep on my way to work. Thank you for the email, Gigi. The short answer is yes, I do have a vetting process, but that vetting process is more around content, topics, and values, I guess is the right way to say it. The goal of this show is to be as inclusive as possible when it comes to who comes on to talk movies, and I get it. There might be somebody here and there that people don't connect with or people don't want to listen to, and that's something that I I guess I expect and understand. I do, however want to give people a chance to be on the show if they desire because that's why the show was created and if those people take the time to prepare and you know they have a good five list topic then chances are I'm gonna let them be on and there are some episodes that I have in the can that have never aired just for one reason or the other um some of it had to do with content some of it had to do with content I discovered after the guest was on the show so Uh, Yes, there is a vetting process is the short way to say it. It just might not be around on-air personality. Again, thank you for the email, Gigi. If you have something that you want to ask me or something you want me to read on-air, the email address is force5podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on social media. I am not hard to find. All right, let's talk about what I've been watching this past week. The first thing I want to talk about this week is Steven Soderbergh's new movie, now streaming on HBO Max. This is from 2021. It is called No Sudden Move. You said a man wants to see me. Ali Outback. Can't come in here. What is he, white? Oh, boy. So what's the score? Boom, 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 boom. We're sending a man that works in an office to pick something up. You are part of a babysitting team watching his family while he does it. Good morning. Everything is normal, except... What do you want? Is that something you'd say? Normal Monday? I'm gonna shoot you right now. Can I go home now? Wait at the house after. What do you mean after? Right off of your feet. The job seems simple for Kurt Goins and Ronald Russell. Babysitter claims adjuster's wife and kids while he retrieves an item from a safe at work for an easy payday. Unfortunately, this is a movie, so things go sideways and the two have to work together to get out. And get paid. The first thing that stands out about No Sudden Move is the cast, which is filled with A players. Don Cheadle plays Kurt, a gangster with an ace up his sleeve who's looking for redemption after a job went wrong and got bloody. Benicio Del Toro plays Ronald, a racist with eyes on leaving the mob if things swing his way. 
David Harbour's in here. He rounds out this main trio. A man who just can't seem to get things done, aside from his secretary, that is. And rounding out the cast, we've got Brendan Fraser, John Hamm, Kieran Culkin, and plenty of other cameos that I won't spoil here, because I know I really appreciated it when their faces came up on screen. Needless to say, Soderbergh called in all favors on this one, and everybody, aside from the performance by the actor who played the secretary, in my opinion, was fantastic. Not sure what she was doing, but it felt like Dollar Store Anna Ferris, and not in a good way. The story follows one of 1950s Motor City espionage, where everyone has a secret and everyone is looking to get paid. It's got plenty of twists and turns, and the film doesn't really show its hand until the very end. Unfortunately, it feels a bit messy getting there, and although I had no problems understanding what was going on, I know that a lot of people online did. The filmmakers are not holding hands here. There are also things that just... They're sort of implied, like a possible relationship between two neighbors, and these things just don't go anywhere, and it feels like red herrings just to add a bit of depth to the story, but ultimately these things feel a bit pointless once the credits roll. The cinematography here is a little jarring. Detroit and its surrounding areas look great, but Soderbergh shot the film with the very period-accurate super wide-angle lenses, which almost gives a certain fisheye effect to the flick. A look that was very extreme sometimes, so much so that there were dark shadows in the corners like vignetting it, and a distortion, like noticeable distortion on the edges of the screen. My wife and I like instantly pointed it out, and we both hated this. It felt, to me, more like a gimmick than something added to the film. I know a lot of people online really like this effect. For me, it did not work. Other than that, the 50s sets and clothing were all great, as you'd expect from a filmmaker of Soderbergh's caliber. I thought No Sudden Move was a decent noir thriller, but I don't see myself revisiting this. The story was muddy with everybody angling in every direction, a tale rife with double and triple crosses. The performances are strong, but once the film was over, the whole thing seemed kind of forgettable. The strongest part is the first 20 minutes, but... Once they leave this residence where the criminals are babysitting the housewife and her children, the film just kind of ran out of steam for me. Now the next two things I saw this week were in theaters. This is the first time in a very long time that I can remember where most of the things I watched were in theaters as opposed to on my couch at home. And of course, we had to get out and get into the big screen to watch F9, The Fast Saga. I used to live my life a quarter mile at a time. But things changed. My father now, I will always be in your heart. Little Brian, I have a gift for you. Your daddy gave me this. No, I'm gonna give it to you. It's very special. It's for protection from what's coming. F9 sees Dom living off the grid, again, when he's recruited for one more mission, again, to find some ball that reprograms something so that bad people can rule the world or whatever. And then a lot of stuff happens with cars and magnets. By now, in 2021, you should know exactly what you're walking into when you purchase a ticket to see a movie in the Fast and Furious world. Over the course of 20 years, they've cultivated a land in which physics and mortality do not apply. And in this film, they fucking flat out tell you that they don't care. 
There are a few instances in F9 in which characters ponder their own invincibility allowed to the audience and make fun of the importance of physics, as if to say, yeah, we get it, we just don't care. So if you care, you're in the wrong theater. Now the film, like most fast movies, starts off with a smashing action scene in which the family trounces through a Central American jungle with sports cars, motorcycles, and tanks. Every few minutes, the danger is upped by things like landmines, helicopters, and bridges, none of which pay any attention to how things work in the real world. The action ramps up later in the film with big, fat, controllable magnets, which again make zero sense in how selective they are with what they stick to, but it's fun. Tej, who has gone from a mechanic who could barely put ejector seats in cars, to a super hacker with unlimited resources somehow outfits each car with these super magnets with their own custom controls. A task which would probably take a whole company of engineers months to build, within a few hours, and that's when some incredible carnage starts taking place. It's utter nonsense, but it's really fun. Even if you know that the stakes aren't really that high because the humans are all made out of concrete and no one ever dies no matter what happens to them. The worst parts of F9 happen when we float back to Dom's childhood as he and his brother witness their dad die in a racing accident. Teenage Dom is not a good actor. I, I guess that's kind of weird because Vin Diesel's not a good actor, but he also looks nothing like Vin Diesel. And he's about a foot taller than his little brother. This feels so weird when the brothers later meet face to face and the younger brother is like a little bit taller than Big Bro, which I'm sure had everyone thinking that either Jacob hit puberty very late or Dom has somehow shrunk by like 13 inches. These flashbacks could have easily been portrayed to the audience via dialogue and saved us 20 minutes of screen time because this movie is long, it is way too long. The comedy here is also totally lame this time around and some of this is due to the editing, which struck me as especially poor. Certain jokes and scenarios could have benefited from tighter editing. The movie felt like its timing was just really off. A little more time chopping things up and bringing in someone to punch up the script really could have paid off. I also think John Cena was horribly miscast in this film. Uh, he just, he's, he's a guy with a natural personality and he brings life to the screen and they did not let any of that life come through. In summary, and hear me out, as I reflect on the latest two hours I spent with Vin Diesel and his family, I cannot help but wonder if maybe, just maybe, we are the dumb ones. Maybe the magnet aspect of the script is an allegory for family, and Vin, under a pen name of course, is really trying to tell us that although family may repel from each other and cause destruction, at the end of the day, it's always going to come together at the end. Or maybe F9 is just dumb as shit. Last thing I saw, and I'll just mention this really quick, I finally got the chance, finally got the chance for my birthday, thanks to my beautiful wife, got a chance to watch Pulp Fiction in the theater. Friends and family came. We had a couple of people that you've heard on the show there. Moose was there. Sean was there. Uh, it was a really good time. I had never gotten to see this on the big screen, although I've seen it like a million times, never with this experience. Uh, it was really, really cool. It was at a local theater that she had rented out and uh, just really, really special. So thank you to, again, my beautiful wife, Jackie, who you've also heard on the show way back in like episode six or seven. Thank you very much. It was very special and I will definitely remember that experience forever. Kat and I are about to get into our top five shootouts, but first, 
let's talk about our sponsor who works hard to stop shootouts, and that's Omni Consumer Products. Detroit is known for a lot of things. Their thriving automobile industry, Motown music, Mackinac Island fudge, double-baked rye bread, and their shitty football team. But you know what they're not known for? Crime. And that's thanks to OCP. Omni uses military-grade technology to keep Detroit safe so that you and your family can walk down to the corner for an ice cream cone in peace. And while you're on the stroll, wave at the ED-209, a completely safe peacekeeping machine and the future of law enforcement as you pass on by. The next time you're in Delta City, or uh, Detroit, remember that it's only possible because of Omni Consumer Products. Coming to your town soon. Now, onto the violence. This is the Force 5 Podcast, and joining me today, I have Kat Gonzalez. She's a film critic whose written work you can find at shuffleonline.net, and she's a co-host of Latin X Lens Podcast with Rosa, who, as you know, was on this show way back in September of last year when we tackled top five films directed by women. Kat, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be on your show. I am really excited to have you on. Now, normally I do this after the list, but I do want to talk a little bit about Latinx Lens. Your show just turned one. Congratulations. Yes, it's super exciting. Um, I've The podcasting journey, as you know, is... is uh, can be challenging at times and, and just turning one and, and doing the lot of excellence podcast for a year, um, with 30 episodes, uh, so far, um, has just been so fulfilling. I've learned so much. Um, and it's funny just, and I don't, I'm sure you have thoughts on this too, but just talking about movies, it seems sort of like a silly thing, but it's actually very powerful in the way like you, you, you examine these things that are dealing with, you know, whatever movie is it's talking about. And like within that you find your voice. And then also we talk about representation and everything. So it's actually been um, just a very growing experience for me as a film critic, as a person, as everything. So I'm, it, it seems like it's, it's like an anniversary of a lot of things. So it's been really fun. Yeah. And it's tough to get to, it's tough even to do like a week of podcasting and to do a year it's, it's a really big accomplishment. Uh, it's a great podcast. Listeners, if you aren't subscribed to Latin Excellence, go subscribe. It's a celebration of inclusion in the, the Latin contributions to film. And they have movie reviews, but they also have studies of certain people's filmographies. What is your favorite episode? Like if you had somebody start with one episode, which one would you direct them towards? Yeah, I would say I think episode seven was one of those um, kind of changing moments of just finding uh, we were reviewing um, like uh, the tax collector movie that just came out with Shia LaBeouf <laughs> and um, uh, uh, the David Ayer directed movie. Um, and I don't know, I just we we talked about it and it, it was interesting because we actually found that we had our own biases in there um, coming into like the Latino gangster movie that we had, I hadn't even thought about um, compared to like a Martin Scorsese, you know, uh, uh, kind of mobster movie. And so that was just like a turning point for me in terms of like analyzing and, and, and like this journey of representation and sort of also realizing it's not just other people's biases within this, you know, thing. It's, it can also be your own because of what you've seen and all that. So I don't know, for me, that was kind of a, a groundbreaking moment. And, uh, I think we've just grown from there. So I would say that was a really fun analytical, um, uh, 
podcast where we were like, oh, wow, like this is something that we didn't expect uh, to to discuss with that particular movie because people were having qualms about it for different reasons. And then <laughs> many we found reasons. This whole, yeah. And then we found this other completely different angle that we weren't even thinking about. Um, and so that was that was very fun just as like a, um, you know, as a lover of film and all that kind of thing. But just to realize like, oh, wow, like we were coming in with this and I don't know. So I, I would say that was a really fun episode for me uh, personally, because I just like grew so much from it. <laughs> so hopefully it's also fun to listen to. Cool. That's episode seven of Latinx Lens. Go check that out. One of my favorites that I will recommend is episode 12, where they do a study on Raul Julia films, who is uh, just, I think, one of those, I wouldn't even say underrated actors, but more like an underseen actor for a lot of yes. people these days. So go check that out. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun one too and sad one for me because then I was like, oh man, I wish I would have appreciated him more. Oh, <laughs> uh, and if he had a, a longer career, we would have seen all kinds of Oscars in his name, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, yes. Now I know you're an action movie fan, as I am, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second. But just to get a general sense of your taste, what are some of your favorite movies that would not make your list tonight? Yes. Um, one of my favorites is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, it's, yeah, it's just one of my all time favorites. Um, and then going back to like when I was, uh, growing up and, um, I had two older brothers. So I, I think I got the action, uh, movie thing from them cause I would just see what they were watching, um, which I appreciate now cause it's just one of my favorite genres and very nostalgic for me. Um, but like the Terminator franchise, um, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, like all those, uh, the Bruce Willis, you know, diehards, um, and yeah, so I love all of those true lies, um, you know, predator alien. Um, yeah. So that sort of like sci-fi action. And then also, um, just like those, like one hero films that is just so unbelievable, but it's really badass. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like throughout your, throughout your time with movies, you've been studying up to this very moment for our yes. list today, which is of course, <laughs> top five shootouts something that i've wanted somebody to pick for a very long time but also once you picked it i was like oh no now i have to narrow all of these movies that i love down to five i'm sure you had that same kind of experience wondering yes. like what makes my list and what do i have to what do i have to keep off oh it was stressful <laughs> yeah yes i totally understand that cat are you ready to get into the list yes let's do it you know what's gonna happen Top five shootouts. Did you order your list in any kind of order? Not really. Yeah, I, I just uh, narrowing it down was hard enough, so I didn't rank them. But I'll I'll see what kind. Of, I'll go from from what you pick first. I'll kind of just um, go in the flow of from my list. <laughs> well, I'm gonna kick things off, and I guess I'll go with. I, I also didn't order my list in any way, but. <laughs> uh, we'll go with the one that I think had the least impact on me because the other ones have just I've watched millions of times. But this mm. one was too good to keep off the list. And it's from 2018 from a movie called Hold the Dark. Dear Mr. Core, three days ago, my son Bailey was taken by wolves. No one in the village will hunt them. 
My husband will come home from the war soon. I must have something to show him. So you come to kill it? To kill the one that took him? I came to help if I can. To explain this if I can. It's not the first time people died out there. The hillside is scattered with pieces of bodies. That's what you get when you talk to the villagers. People are dying. It's real enough. Hold the Dark is a movie from Jeremy Saulnier, and it's it's uh, one of my least favorite in his filmography. He is the writer and director of Blue Ruin and Green Room, which I loved. So I was very, very excited to see this film. And it debuted on Netflix. Overall, I was a little lukewarm on the movie itself, but there's a shootout scene, specifically a siege, about an hour in that is absolutely fantastic. So there's uh, the scenario is that there have been some murders in this very small town in the Alaskan wilderness, and there's a lot of tension within the community, and uh, one of these suspects is holed up in his house, and this, this suspect's name is Cheon. The cops come over, and uh, everybody in this small town knows each other. So the, the main sheriff, played by James Badge Dale, he walks up to the house and he has a conversation with Cheon and he's telling him, man, just just come out nicely. Like, this can be really easy. And this guy Cheon, he, he's not having it. And he, he basically says, you know what? You're going to have to come and get me. Now, there's all kinds of cops just waiting for him. There's like six cop cars in the front yard, people with guns ready to go. And uh, James Badgedale lets him close the door. He walks back to the cars and they said, what did he say? He says, well, in so few words, he told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> and then you see in the background, you see there's like a cover on an upstairs window covered, boarded with wood. And the board comes down and Cheon is up there with a mounted M60 machine gun. And he just starts riddling the officers. And at first it's like duck and cover. People, there's, there's just bodies going everywhere. Uh, it, and it, it's extremely brutal. Everybody's overmatched, and James Badgedale uh, has to figure out a way to stop Cheon from slaughtering every officer there. As they're returning fire, cop cars are getting mangled, windows smashed. People are, like, bulletproof vests don't do a thing against an M60. <laughs> it's tearing these people to shreds. Uh, and then in the background, you have Jeffrey Wright, who's a wolf tracker. He showed up to the scene to give some information to the uh, to the officers, but he gets caught in this too. And so from his perspective, it's like, what do I do, number one, to help these guys out? Because I don't really know much about shootouts. <laughs> I'm a yeah. wolf tracker. Like, I can shoot a wolf, but I've never shot a human. And uh, also, like, I just need to stay alive. So I won't tell you how it ends. I know you haven't seen it. But really, really great shootout, very intense, and definitely the most memorable thing from Hold the Dark from 2018. Well, that sounds really good because while I was trying to narrow down uh, or make this this top five list, um, I was like, well, what makes a good shootout or something that I've remembered throughout, you know, uh, watching like from when I was younger up until now. And it's like a mix of um, sort of like the chaos. How are they going to get out of this? 
are they, you know, is the shootout leading to the ultimate like ending or, uh, you know, like a next leg in the journey? Um, there has to be, sometimes there's like the good one-liners like you just mentioned with James <laughs> Badgedale. Um, there's some music or there's like a lot of tension. So I was like, um, yeah, that sounds exactly like the perfect shootout montage. Oh, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And the way that, that it's solved makes sense, which I think is, is cool too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'll go to my next, my first one. Um, and since I didn't order them, I think I'm just going to go from oldest to newest um, okay, in terms cool. of when they were released. Um, so I used to, like I said, I had older brothers and one of my brothers loved Scarface. 1980, Miami. They called it Little Havana, where the American dream had a price tag, and only one man in a million was hungry enough to pay. This country, you gotta make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. Scarface. For one brief moment, the world was his. And so I watched Scarface a lot of times, probably when I shouldn't have, uh, you know, when I was <laughs> when I was young. And so I can quote that movie like nobody's business. But um, I remember watching it um, a lot when I was when I was growing up and through my teen years. Um, and then, you know, as I've gotten older, I watch it um, at least like twice a year or something. Um, but that I remember watching it for the first time and that ultimate shootout with, uh, Tony Montana at the very end and Al Pacino. And while it's very iconic, I think like, I remember watching it for the first time thinking, wow, like it's just such a tragic story, such a, but it's also a fitting end for that character and the way he goes out, like, you know, it's a one man shootout from his perspective and he is actually kind of winning because he has like, you know, they're all coming in trying to kill him and he has like the gun and he goes out. Um, and he's like just going crazy. Um, but then of course, like, and then he just takes all those bullets. Like he does cause he's so coked <laughs> up that he can't feel it. And I was just like, Oh my God, he might make it, you know, like you even think like he could make it. Um, and then it's like, and then the assassin is coming at the end and then just like, you know, shotguns him. And then he literally falls from power figuratively and literally, um, and I just, I remember it just like, you know, it goes in the music that like synthy, you know, 80s music starts. And I'm like, oh my God. And, um, and, and so that blew my mind. It was like one of the first, I guess, like, uh, I'm guessing one of the first action shootout things that I saw um, when I was younger. And I was, and I, I've watched it so many times. And so it's like nostalgic. It's also just very good. And um, it's one of my favorites because it's just, it's so tragic, but also badass in a way. So. Um, as a villain, like, I guess you can, sometimes he, I, I struggle with the Tony Montana, like, is he a villain or is he just like, you know, sort of the, it's just, you know, the character and like where he came from and, um, what he had to do to survive and actually, you know, go to power. So it's also very, like a struggle for me to think like, ah, like, yes, he should die because of what he represents, but also it's just like, ah, so it's, it's a lot of mixed emotions in that final battle. You want him to win, but you also know, like, he probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> none, of, yeah. none of these people should. So yeah, it's a very, uh, mixed bag for me on that end. But there's a lot of variety to that one too, with like the weapons and there's grenades being launched. Yeah. There's uh well, you talked about 
really great lines. I mean, it has one of the most iconic lines in movie history that's yes. quoted every single day by people. Okay. Do you want to play rough? Yeah, and it's so funny too, because like throughout that scene, like he's just saying these things, like you know, come get it, you know, like by himself, like he's just so like he's pumping himself up, obviously, because he's just like fuck, fuck all this, you know, like I got this, and still thinking he's gonna make it, and um, yeah, I just I love it so much. It was the drugs talking for sure. Yes, yeah, great pick, and one that narrowly missed my list. Though it was it was on my short list. If I was doing top 10, it would have been on there for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, on my number four, this one I think is probably going to be my deepest cut in terms of movies that I think a lot of listeners will need to check out after this. It's from 2004. It's a Johnny Toe film called Breaking News. So uh, this is from Hong Kong, and Johnny Toe is an amazing director. In fact, one of his movies just made it into the Criterion Collection coming up here pretty soon, which I'm very excited about. But my favorite of his is Breaking News. Breaking News is about this uh, this police squad that tries to stop a gang of robbers in the very beginning of the film. This, this shootout happens is the very first scene in this movie. And they try to stop these robbers and they fail to do so in embarrassing fashion. And there's a news crew that's watching all of this and the news crew films this, shows it to the world as this very... Like, like um, the police are just ill-equipped to deal with people of this caliber, and they're very embarrassed. And a lot of the movie is about like the higher-ups trying to figure out how to get the reputation back as a station. But this first shootout is awesome. It's about eight minutes long, but the first half of it is all done in one take. As you have these robbers who have just robbed a bank on one side of a small alley, and you have the cops on the other side of this alley... The camera isn't just all in one place. The camera's moving through the scene down the street and then over towards the other side of the street in the other direction. And then at one point we lift into the air and we see people up on, like coming out of windows and shooting. And uh, at some point you see this police vehicle come into frame because backup's on the way and this, this backup car just gets eviscerated with bullets from the robbers. They end up stealing this police van and driving it down the road. A chase follows. They continue the shootout down this road, and uh, eventually the robbers get away, as is the catalyst for the plot. But it's so well done. It's so well shot. You can find the opening scene on YouTube, and I guarantee that you watch this opening scene on YouTube, you're going to have to watch the rest of the movie. You're going to find a way to watch it because it is that good. The rest of the movie is good, too. There are a lot of other shootouts in the movie, but this opening scene just takes the cake. That's uh, breaking news from 2004. And Johnny Toe, people need to start uh, digging into Johnny Toe's back catalog because he's got a, a lot of really fine movies. Breaking news is my favorite, but Drug War is another one that has a shootout that almost made my list. Exiled is another one which has a, a brilliant shootout at the end of it. And he also did The Mad Detective, which is a great movie, too. Oh, well, I'm going to have to add those to my action movie list. So good. <laughs> um, all right, so I'll move on to the next one. Um, I don't know if you'll have this one on there, but uh, it's a movie that I saw when I was younger, but I didn't appreciate this scene until, um, until I was older because um, you just kind of 
don't realize the brilliance of it, you know, because you're a kid or whatever. <laughs> but I remember like, oh, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, and then when I was, you know, in film school and all that sort of thing, I was like, oh, wow, that was like that was that was just amazing. And I'm talking about Heat uh, from 1995, directed by Michael Mann. From the Godfather to Scent of a Woman. What do we got? From Raging Bull to Goodfellas. Assume they got our phones. Assume they got our houses. Assume they got us. Their performances have created a legacy of landmark films. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours, round the clock. We never close open seven days a week. Now, for the first time, America's two most electrifying actors collide. With this guy, there's more cheap you should pass. The bank is worth the risk. You should take it down. 12.2 million. You're up. This crew is good. <laughs> yep, heat's on my list too. Yeah, and another Al Pacino, uh, another film. Um, and uh, I mean, Robert De Niro as, as, as the bad guy and Val Kilmer, who I whom I love. Um, and the, just the combination of them. Um, but in this scene, like... I, w- I rewatched it for this and for this uh, podcast, and I was just thinking, like, wow. I think it's also more of the the mo- the more realistic one that from my um, from my list. And sometimes it seems like you have to go really crazy, um, you know, sci-fi or explosions and things. And I think the reason why I love this one so much is that it it does feel so real and it's so practical. And um, you know, the way they do the movement of you know. Uh, how you know they're stealing and then like they're we see it cuts to like al pacino and in in pursuit and just like the way they're covering and and it's just so good and like there's not a lot of talk it's just like everyone is doing what they need to do and it's just so i don't know it just feels like that would be like if you're a bank robber like it wouldn't be chaotic um or you'd be like uh, calm in the chaos and it just it seems so um the way it's shot it's just like a balance and like kind of um i don't know like the choreography of it is so beautiful to watch (laughs) (laughs) yes i agree yeah so i i I just i think while it seems like it is the most realistic it's just more realistic and not more fantastical like some of these other ones but i don't know it's just um it's one of my favorites i think because of that so normally i try to leave off the most obvious ones but with this list i just couldn't hear number one because i would feel so bad that i didn't have heat on my list but number two because Force 5 listener Sean would have given me an earful because it's his favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And I know I would have gotten a, a text message right away. I'm just going to add on a couple things that I think need to be said about Heat. You mentioned that it's realistic, and I think one of the reasons it's realistic is because of the training that the actors went yeah. through beforehand. Yeah. And something that I thought was cool that Michael Mann did is that he had military people train mm-hmm the bank robbers, and then he had police train the people who are going to be playing the cops. So the movements of each are different. The way they move, like you said, the the way they move is so deliberate and so precise. Yeah. And it doesn't feel staged. Like it just feels organic and natural. And that makes sense of like doing it that way. Oh, I agree. Especially once the, they start trying to get away in a car and uh, the tires are shot out on the car and, and they, once that happens, you'd think, all right, all, hell is going to break loose because now these guys are in the middle of an unplanned chaos, but they, they still remain super calm under fire. Yeah. So good. And then the only other thing that I wanted to mention is that the sound design in this scene mm-hmm. is awe-inspiring. And I believe it that the gunshots were recorded on set because guns have never sounded this good 
mm-hmm. in a movie. Even today, a lot of stuff in movies is added post. It's done with sound effects and ADR, and these, I, I believe, were all recorded on set. It just sounds so good. Yeah, and I think that's why it, it, it serves more of a, it's like more chilling, because I think it's just, you. it, it does feel like um, that's what it would be. And then I think that makes it scarier, because when you hear like, you know, in, in other shootouts or things, and it's like really crazy explosions and all this sort of thing, it kind of makes you, I don't know, it takes you out of it, like, you know, you're watching the movie, but in this one, it's like, oh, wow, like, that's, I don't know, it hits, it hits. And then like that music you know, when they're oh, doing yeah. that whole scene, oh, it's like very like ballet-like. I don't know. It's just so good. One last thing I'll mention is a great quote from Val Kilmer. I guess mm. in uh, military trainings, they show this scene, specifically the way he reloads in one of his machine guns as he's firing back at the officers. And in the military training, they say, if you can't reload your gun as fast as this actor can, then you have no business being here, <laughs> which I thought was really <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. And I also like the way um, the scene ends with Al Pacino, um, uh, you know, shooting um, Tom Sizemore and or I don't I don't know the character. Chris, I think, is or no. What's what's his last name? Michael, I think, is the character name. And I think they didn't make it such a big deal. Also, like it was like Al Pacino's character just had to um, make a decision. Right. And believe in his training and like that sort of thing. And while the little girl's there, it's just like he just took a shot because he had the shot. And like, I don't know, I just felt like that was just so good. Because in other kind of movies where they have a kid or a hostage, they're like, it's this whole like thing, you know, it's a whole standoff. Yeah. And here he didn't even think about it. Like he he was just waiting for him to um, get in a better view so he could take the shot. But it was never something where he was like, oh, there's a kid there. Maybe I shouldn't take the shot. He was like, no, I have this guy. I'm going to do it regardless. And I think that's um something we don't see as as much it's like not it was just like a common collected and then he took a shot that was going to be my number two so i'll just slot that in at my number three since we talked about it and uh we'll move on to your number what are we on number three yeah i know this is another obvious one (laughs) but i had to go in in making narrowing it down i sort of just went for the first time, like remembering my first time watches and just being in awe as like, you know, a kid or growing up and watching these movies and um, how they have had a lasting impact on, you know, uh, building blocks of other movies that I've seen um, that I love in the action genre. And one of those movies was The Matrix, 1999, the first one. Whoa. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Um, when Neo and Trinity are just making their way, simple scene, going to the elevator to, you know, to get up or go. And yet it's just another, I think a lot of these movies, a lot of these um, ones that I chose uh, have a similar theme of like, they're so like the choreography and the way they're so beautiful and like artistic and it's like a bloody thing, right? Like they're killing people, but also you don't see that in this one as well. Like there's not a lot of blood or anything. Cause I think it's just, it's the matrix. Right. So, um, but it's, 
the way they they're just like going and doing their martial arts choreography and um and then like all the uh like that side view of when they're you know the bullets are going and it's just like popping and it's like uh all the the what is it called the debris is just like kind of going but it creates like this like very beautiful um aesthetic uh, uh viewing experience and then and and so like it feels chaotic yet it also feels so um i don't know uh it, it was just beautiful to rewatch um is what i'm saying and i was i appreciated it even more and although now that it, there's been so many i mean that was like 20 two years ago um it's not the most exciting like it does seem a little bit simple for uh, after watching so many other movies in 20 years um but I just had to think about like the first time I watched that and thinking like wow that is so crazy and how that really probably laid the groundwork for other movies that I love um that are more recent um so I had to give it props um for being one of my favorite shootouts and also um Keanu Reeves and um Carrie Ann Moss who were just like you know, badass in there. So, and it has like, you know, where they walk in and they're, you know, have their bag of guns. And I don't know. It's, <laughs> just, so it's just, yeah. Yeah. It has like, like I was saying, it kind of like the shootouts have to have some style and um, just, you know, humor and like the badass aspect of it. So it had all of that. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that scene, but when they walk in, they have these bags of guns and they put it through like a metal detector. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's like the humor part of it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, all hell breaks loose. One thing that I appreciate about The Matrix that I think more movies could take cues from, including my number one, which we'll get to soon, uh, is that you notice in a lot of movies now, when they want to feel like they put you into the action, they they almost like speed up the flow of things or let you watch yeah. it at the speed that it's supposed to be happening. And mm -hmm. sometimes I think that isn't the best, whereas in The Matrix they use time as a way to slow things down a little bit and really let you take in what's happening. And I, and I really love that. Yeah. And I think when I rewatched it for this, it did feel slower than I'm used to, you know, with like mm -hmm. newer action movies. And then I, and, but in those slower moments, like I said, it felt like every frame was like an art piece in a way, like with the debris coming out at you with the, you know, the martial arts movements that they were doing just to get to the, you know, they're literally, it's a simple scene. They're getting to the other end. Um, but the way they get there is just so fun to watch. And you are, um, I guess they, it kind of is that thing where you're saying um, they think, uh, speeding things up or getting you like really quick uh, edits is the way to go to get you in the action. But sometimes it is like, just let it play out and let the uh, viewer really appreciate like what is going on and, and like soak it all in. And I feel like when I rewatched it, I was like, Oh yes, this is, I can, I can enjoy it and really um, get the details of that scene and, and how it all plays out. Yeah. And then they get in the elevators and as the doors close, like you just, you still see the columns falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good. So good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Two left for me. I'm going to go with one that it was like, it, this is one that I had on VHS when I was younger and I wore this tape out because I watched it so many times. I love this shootout. It's from 2000's Way of the Gun. For the record, I'll call myself Mr. Parker. My associate will be Mr. Longbow. At some point, it became clear to us that our path had been chosen and we had nothing to offer the world. So we stepped off the path and went looking for the fortune that we knew was looking for us. And here was the thing. The longest distance between two points is a kidnapper and his money. But we were through jerking around. 
you seen Way of the Gun before? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you're in for a treat. Way of the Gun is Christopher McQuarrie's first directorial debut. He had written um, Usual Suspects, which is Mm -hmm. why he was given the green light for this. And the way he describes it on the director's commentary is that he, he wanted to do a whole lot of things but people weren't letting him, and so he tried to do this on a, on a lower budget, and they finally let him. It's a movie about these two kind of, like, drifters, I, I guess, played by uh, Ryan Philippi and Benicio Del Toro, and they just do what they can to survive. In this plot, they're going to steal a surrogate mother because the, she's a surrogate for a rich couple. So instead of, like, stealing the baby, they're going to steal the surrogate mother and hold her hostage to try and get cash out of these, out of these like, powerful people. But the powerful people don't waver. And instead of paying up, they're like, we're just going to go get her back. So, so they get way more than they bargained for. And at the end of the film, they find themselves in a hotel in Mexico. And it's a really old school, really kind of crappy hotel that they find themselves in. The uh, surrogate, played by Juliette Lewis, is having the baby. So she's having the baby in this hotel room. And this, uh, this man, his name is Chittick. His people are coming down to the hotel to try and take these guys out and, and get their surrogate back. You have this birth happening, so you like that's one part of the stress, Chaotic, and then yep. yeah, these guys are coming in, and Philippi and uh, and Del Toro were trained by a marine on the set, so the way they handle guns, the way they walk, the way they move is really authentic, and it's really cool, and uh, it's all pistols and shotguns for the most part. You've got uh, bodyguards, and they're old school bodyguards, so much like Heat, it's very realistic. At one point. Because like the collateral damage could be so high, mm-hmm. there's what's called a bagman played by James Can- James Kane, and he puts a pile of money on the fountain in the middle of the courtyard of this hotel. It's it's like the cheese in the rat trap. Go and get the money. If you get the money, you can take off and you can go. But these guys know we're probably going to die, and they go into this courtyard to try and get this money, and it's a shootout. The, in the fountain, like the money's on the fountain, Philippi runs to the fountain. He jumps into the fountain, uh, which doesn't have water. Because like I said, this is, this is a dilapidated apartment or a hotel. Mm-hmm. Jumps into the fountain and doesn't realize until he jumps in that it's filled with broken glass bottles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that just adds another like really painful aspect to the shootout. But it's really great. Del Toro's great. Um the, the sound design, again, is really, really cool, and the environment overall is really great. It's the ending of the film, so I won't tell you how it ends up, but just such a good shootout. And like I said, I think the authentic nature of it just makes it a little bit better. Yeah, well, I love um, all his uh, uh, other, like, I love Edge of Tomorrow, like and he wrote that, and, like, the Mission Impossible movies. And um, so I, I think that will probably, I can't believe that was his directorial debut that you're describing. Um, I just looked it up, so like, um, that would be. I, I'm excited for to watch that one because I'm a big Christopher McQuarrie fan. So you will like this one, and I do recommend if you if you can find the disc, I recommend the director's commentary too. He's okay. really kind of self deprecating on it because he, <laughs> I, I don't think he wanted this to be his first. 
Yeah, I think it's a good sign too, because uh, when people are self-deprecating, in, in a way, because it's like they don't—they're not full of themselves, and I think it always makes them want to do better. And it, it shows in the way they've like done the Mission Impossible series, and like they were really like, did you see that ad, the the PSA for the <laughs> like the, the screen thing? And I don't know, I just feel like he's like a lover of film, so it makes sense that that would be a really good movie. He is, and also I'll add that there's a very very unique car chase in it too. So look for that. Ooh. Yes. Okay. I love a good car chase. All right. Uh, Kat, you're number two. This would have been in my early beginnings of uh, high school when I was sort of getting into film a little bit more seriously and watching all the, the releases that were coming out. Um, actually, a little. it would have been after I graduated high school. So, um, But Wanted, 2008, with Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy. I knew your father. My father died the week I was born. Your father died yesterday on the rooftop of the Metropolitan Building. He was one of the greatest assassins who ever lived. Then the other one is behind you. I thought he'd be taller. Shoot the wings off the flies. You're insane. Insanity is coasting through life in a miserable existence when you have a cage lying unlocked inside. I really think you have me mixed up with somebody else. It's like the fraternity and like assassins and things like that. And I remember thinking at the time, like uh, they had the whole um, the curved bullet thing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, so to me, it's like a nostalgic thing. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I rewatched um, the scene that I'm talking about is when uh, James McAvoy is like going through and like having to he's basically like just like running full speed but like shooting all like the fraternity like at the same time and he's doing like these crazy moves and uh, it's just like but it's like it's like un unworldly kind of speed that he's doing like he's we're supposed to think he's running but the camera's like kind of panning but he's like killing people and doing like you know all that sort of you know everyone's shooting at him and um and then he just like makes it to the very end and so i don't know i just remember watching that in the theater and thinking like oh my god that was so badass (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i i i want to watch uh wanted again because i just remember thinking like oh that was one of my um I used to watch it a lot after it came out, um, you know, when it was on DVD, um, just because I was thinking it was so cool. Um, and uh, yeah, it just stuck with me. So I was like, I got to mention it here because it's just one of my nostalgic. I remember first awe kind of things. This is one that I haven't seen probably since it was in theaters. But I remember two things. I remember that James McAvoy is like a just a typical office worker. Yes, at first, yes. And he turns into this crazy badass. Yeah, yeah. I love James McAvoy. And so like him as like as a nerd is very believable. And then he like turns into this like badass, like because he has like that thing. I forgot what it was because it's been a while. But I just remember um, watching that and thinking like, oh, yes, this is badass. Yeah. And then I remember in the very first scene, there's an assassin that kills somebody. And when you see where the assassin shot the person yeah. from, it's like miles away. <laughs> yeah, it's like this it really it's unique. So silly. But like, you know, I was just like, oh. I think that one deserves a rewatch from me. Wanted. I think I have it on Blu-ray too. I just haven't seen it since it was in theaters. So I must yeah. have gotten it cheap for some reason. <laughs> cool. Uh, grand finale time for me. When you said top five shootouts, I was honestly wondering which shootout from this movie to put in the list because this whole movie is awesome. It's, in my opinion, the best action movie of all time. And that says a lot. And that's 1992's Hard Boiled. On dark streets, where violence consumes everything it touches, and the innocent live in fear, two men 
dedicated to justice will follow different paths. As one searches for revenge and the other for redemption, fate will bring them together. Now, for those who hide behind the shadow of corruption, only one thing is certain. A day of reckoning is coming. This is John Woo's finest. This is... In, in 1989, he had done The Killer, and then in 1990, he did Bullet in the Head, and those were both amazing movies, but he kind of combined elements of both of those films to make Hard Boiled. There are two shootouts in this film that could have been number one for me. The Tea House is one that I'm going to leave off in lieu of the hospital scene, which is a big chunk of the last third of this movie. Hard Boiled is about this this cop played by uh, Chow Yun-Fat at his all-time coolest. And he teams up with this undercover agent, and they're going to shut down a mobster and his crew. It's a revenge story, but at the heart of it, it's all about the gunplay and the gunfights. In the hospital, you've got Tequila and Tony, and they're making their way through. And the way they move, again, is really fluid and really cool. Tony's armed with double pistols. Tequila's armed with this shotgun. They're taking people out left and right, and there's so much smoke from the guns that it almost seems like they're shooting killer baby powder because it's like uh, it's everywhere. You have tons of bodies. You have glass everywhere. People are launching themselves through windows. You have grenades getting tossed. The body count's insane. And then Tequila gets into the maternity ward because that's where the battle leads them. And through the second half of the scene, he's got to do everything while holding a baby in one arm to protect it because that particular kid hadn't been taken out. Like you see earlier in the scene, you, you have a SWAT team that's crawled up the wall on one side and they're getting the babies out of this hospital. But Tequila's got to hold one while he does this action. When you started talking about the Matrix, that's where I thought about slowing time down versus speeding it up. John Woo did an amazing job with using slow pauses and slow motion to add dramatic effect things. The camera's really kinetic, but he knows when to slow time down. Uh, is expertly made. It ends with a bang. If you haven't seen Hard Boiled, it's one of the best action movies ever made. Unfortunately, it still does not have a good release on disc. So, like, the copy I have is a DVD, and it's the best DVD of it that you can buy, but it still really doesn't look good because it's made in 1992, and the DVD transfer isn't great. So it's a little yeah. disappointing, and I'm, I'm so curious as to why this hasn't been... Really, all John Woo movies haven't been put out in a better package because it's so good. That's hard-boiled from 1992. Yeah, I think I've only seen that once when I was younger, so I probably... It didn't... Now that you mentioned it, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> And that ring a bell. So it probably would have been on my list. But yeah, it's just, it you know, passed me by. Oh, it's really, really good. And the tea house scene in the beginning is just as good. I just couldn't put two like from the same movie yeah. on my list. But uh, a lot of the stuff that you would see in John Woo's American movies, you could see right here in Hard Boiled, done first and done better. There's a scene in the tea house where Chow Yun-Fat is running downstairs on a like a staircase rail and oh, it's it's so beautiful. It's so poetic. Uh, it's just one of the best action movies of all time. Yeah, and it's so funny because I think um, that's one of the things I love about the action genre is like sometimes it can be a little bit like brutal and and um, you know like kind of brute and like 
you know, ah, but there is so many beautiful moments, which is, it's so funny. Cause like sometimes I like hear myself talk about action movies. I'm like, do I sound like a crazy, like I love these shootout <laughs> kind of things, but there is like in terms of cinema and watching this and it feels like otherworldly. Cause obviously I'm not in shootouts every day of my life. Um, and I, you know, I've only like shot a gun once and it was like the scariest thing. So, um, I think that's why it's so fascinating to me to like watch it on screen. Cause it just seems so like out of reach for me. Um, and so like, I'll describe it and like everything, like you just said, it's like poetic and beautiful. And like some of these scenes I, I was, I was trying to narrow it down to like, yeah, it's just like really beautiful to watch, but it's like a brutal thing that people are killing each other. <laughs> yeah. like, what does it say about us? I don't know. That's a good question too. <laughs> and you know what, what is really great about the nineties movies is that you didn't have CGI blood yet. So these are all yeah. squibs that, uh, that, that look powerful. So Yeah. What's your grand finale on your list of top five shootouts? Yeah, so it was hard to pick one from this movie, um, but I remember um, when my um, I was in Australia f- um, about six years ago, and I met my then husband, um, and he we bonded over movies, <laughs> and <laughs> he was like, "Hey, have you heard of this movie, John Wick?" And I was like, "Oh no, I haven't," and because I was like back in 2014 when it had just came out. Um, and I was over there. So I think I had been like kind of out of the pop, like, I didn't know what was releasing here or there. Um, and then we saw it together and then I was just like, oh my God. I lost everything. That dog was a final gift from my dying wife. Jonathan, you got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond, you may find something reaching out to pull you back in. It's personal. Where'd you get that car? What does it matter? It's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. Nobody? That nobody. It's John Wick. That was like the best thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, It's not like, I know it's, it's not the best action movie of all time, but it's up there for me. Um, just because, I mean, it had Keanu sort of, he wasn't making a comeback, but it just was in that, like, you know, being Keanu role and it was over this dog. And then like in this movie, there's like several, um, scenes that, I mean, I wanted to pick, like I could have probably had a top five of just John Wick. Um, but it was just so like the double shooting or, you know, like the kind of like a double tap and like him having to reload you know and it it feels authentic even though it is kind of in this it is a little john wick universe is a little bit fantastical but this first one um was probably the most grounded of all of them yeah so it's like you you feel it you feel and 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 chad stahelski who um you know was the um he was also i think the coordinator on the matrix so it makes sense (laughs) that he you know he's uh he was here but he uh was i think co-director because i think david i don't know how you pronounce his david leach yeah yeah leach was like kind of also a director in this one but he's not credited um but yeah it was it just felt so I don't know. It just blew my mind. Like I've watched it so many times and I was just thinking like how it felt so real in the, like, you know, you could feel Keanu being, you know, doing all these moves. It didn't feel so like, well, I love like the Arnold's and John Claude Van Damme's and like the Bruce Willis, like those feel like, okay, they like staged it. They shot it from here and there. And like, but this John Wick was sort of like, I guess a new version of like what an action hero could be in the 2000, 
tens or whatever because we hadn't really you know kind of died down and so i i just loved it so much and then so the ending scene when he's um you know chasing um i forgot his the villain's name but um you know the guy the the kid who killed the dog he just has to kill the the father because you know got to complete the circle Um, (laughs) as one as one action hero does um but like the way he gets to it you know there's like a a car chase thing and then also just like you know going balls to the wall killing everyone and then he ends it with a with uh i think the knife but i don't know it's just the whole thing it's really hard for me to choose from that movie but um i will say um maybe that scene and then also um i'm gonna just throw in another one but the club scene was one of my favorites as well yeah that was where i thought you might be going yeah yeah because that one was like the neon the blue the pink um and yeah it was just so fun but i don't know i'm kind of a sucker for endings too so um i feel like the club scene and the ending were kind of like a tie for me Good pick. John Wick almost made my list. I had on my also rans and honorable mentions, which we can actually just roll right into. I had uh, John Wick 3's scene with the German Shepherds. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, Halle Berry teams up with with uh, Keanu Reeves in that scene, and she has these dogs that are running around just taking care of people while everybody's firing guns. Awesome. I also had a couple that I wanted to mention that didn't make my list. I felt really bad leaving Leon the Professional off the list. There's oh, a hallway yes. shootout. Yes. Oh, it's really, really great. So good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that one's got heart too, which is nice. Triple mm-hmm. uh, Nine is, a, is I think, I don't think Triple Nine is a good movie but per se, but the action in it is really top notch. And there's a scene where they breach a an apartment complex looking for a guy named Termite that is really, really good. You got... Uh, Casey Affleck leading his SWAT team behind him with a with a shield, and then they, it rolls out into the parking lot. Really, really good. And uh, last one I'll mention is Den of Thieves, which is a pretty underrated action movie, I think, with um, Gerard Butler and Pablo Schreiber. And there's a um, there's a scene at the end where they have a shootout in traffic, and it is really, really good. Uh, is there are there any films that you really wish you could have put on your list, but just didn't have the room for? Yeah, I I did want to mention Bad Boys 2, um, the house shootout with the Haitians. And they're oh, yeah, doing good. the camera pan and it sort of it just sort of gets faster and faster and then like you're you don't know what's gonna happen. And then there's like there's also the humor aspect with uh Will Smith um and Martin Lawrence, and then it's like, hey, they can't hear you because they're <laughs> they're they're uh, they're shooting at you and just like that sort of thing and then you know finding the holes in the in the wall um and it's just a wall between them and it seems pretty straightforward but the way they shot that was really fun um and then also i was thinking of um like uh, die hard with a vengeance because i used when i grew up i watched the third one more so than the first two just because like that was when i was you know um it came out and like so it was on tv more and so i always thought that was the first one <laughs> um, but i learned later that it was like the other ones and i loved the other ones too but um i remember like when bruce willis is in the elevator and he kills like six guys with the gun by himself or something and it's like what <laughs> so i like that one um the solo men shootout and then also uh, Desperado um, mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. town uh, scene and, and it's the mariachis with Antonio Banderas and they're shooting from their guitar cases, which I thought was just badass. So um, I really like that scene. And there's like, uh, you know, and then they get away um, with Salma Hayek coming in. So, um, yeah, that whole scene was really fun, too. And I really wanted to put it in as well as like there's another scene in that movie, too, um, in the bar. Yeah. Uh, fun, too. But I was just like, oh, I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> it was just really hard. And there's like so many others I'm, I'm missing out on. Um, but yeah, it's just, these were my top five for now. <laughs> if I ever do top five weapons, then those guitar cases, specifically the guitar case rocket launcher is definitely going to have to make my list. Yes. Yes. Oh, Thank you so much for coming on. Let's uh, let's hear a little bit about Shuffle Online because we, we kind of talked about Latinx Lens. Again, listeners, go and subscribe to Latinx Lens, but tell us about Shuffle Online. Yeah, Shuffle Online is an entertainment and lifestyle online site. Um, we cover movies, music, TV, um, as well as like the festivals going on. We're based in, I'm, I live in Austin, so luckily there's a lot of uh, festivals going uh, happening and hopefully coming back now that the you know pandemic is slowly... Um, you know, hopefully, I don't know, it's opening up again places. Yeah. So like concerts are now coming back. And so, um, you know, we'll be covering those events in Austin and then also film festivals. Um, and yeah, so just movies, um, reviews, things like that. And a little bit of also um, the lifestyle aspect of like mental health and fitness, which is something that I uh, want to do more of on that site. So I, it's just a shuffle of everything I love because I can't, just like these lists that I can't narrow it down. I can't narrow down <laughs> what to cover. So um, I like a little bit of everything. Um, so that's sort of uh, what Shuffle Online is, is about. Cool. So make that part of your daily reading, Shuffle Online. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And uh, where can people find your social media if they want to follow? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ThingsCatLoves. And then you can follow Shuffle Online on Twitter and Instagram at Shuffle Online. And then you can follow the Latinx Lens podcast at Latinx Lens on Twitter and Instagram and also wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Listeners, what's your favorite shootout? What did we miss? Let me know on Instagram and Twitter. I try to reply to every comment on every post, so hit me up on social media. Also, head to force5podcast.com for the show request form if you want to be on. I'm currently booking for late August and early September. While you're there checking out the site, take a minute, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Every review means a lot to me, so please, please review wherever you listen to your pods. Today's intro and outro bumpers come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some amazing shootouts. Force five.